بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حق حمده والصلاة والسلام على محمد رسوله وعبده وعلى آله وأصحابه من بعده السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to our presentation of the beginning of guidance by Imam Ghazali. May Allah have mercy on him always and raise his ranks. Uh, brought to you by Miss Women, the Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge. My name is Umar Abdullah and welcome ahlan wa sahlan to another class and a very interesting one inshallah. I hope you will find it to be so. Okay, bismillah. So before we begin, of course, we need to gather our intentions in our hearts and focus on uh, why we have all come here uh, today at this point in time, why we have stopped what we're doing in our daily life or wherever you may be if you have just woken up or if you are struggling to stay awake. If you're in Australia, I believe now on the East Coast, uh, the clocks have changed and it's now midnight. So if you are there, mashallah, tabarakallah, uh, may Allah increase you in knowledge and practice of it, inshallah. So we gather all our intentions, inshallah, um, for what we would like to receive from the knowledge that we are exposed to, inshallah. And we will read the dua of Imam Haddad, which helps us to focus, inshallah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Nawaitu ta'allamu wa ta'alim wa tadhakkura wa tadhkir wa nafa'a wal intifa' wal ifadata wal istifada wal hatha 'ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa du'a ila al huda wa dalalata 'ala al khair ibtigha'a wajhillahi wa mardatihi wa kurbihi wa thawabihi subhanahu wa ta'ala ameen okay our topic today as we cover the transgressions of the limbs uh, we have finished the section on the tongue which we completed last week alhamdulillah and the next two limbs that imam ghazali draws our attention to um, and uh, urges us to be particularly aware of the transgressions which can be performed by these limbs are what are called collectively as uh, shahawatain or the two carnal appetites and they are the sins of the stomach and of the private parts. So inshallah we're going to have a somewhat detailed look at uh, the meanings that are encompassed in that as well as some other hadith and some other comments from scholars inshallah about what that means and uh, inshallah it will help us understand particularly in the time that we are living in where it seems in our extremely extravagant and gluttonous and hypersexualized societies that we live in that really the excesses of the stomach and the private parts dominate a lot of our uh, culture um, and a lot of the aims of the societies that we live in at the moment that somehow this obsession with the body this obsession with food and things that we put into our bodies and as well as the hyper overindulgence of the sexual appetite which is thrust upon us from all angles all the time um, these really are uh, key indicators of a society that is going into decline 
and it's often said of the ancient Roman civilization that it started to decline when there was excessiveness um, and uh, over extravagance in these two areas and that's really the beginning of the downfall and uh, we ask Allah to protect us and to not enable us or allow us to be a part of any type of destruction or downfall that's caused uh, either by our own hands with regards to these two parts of the body, these two limbs if you like, as well as that we should not be caught up in other people's downfall uh, with regards to that inshallah. So these are um, really important things that we need to bear in mind. What is the Islamic position? And I'll just draw your attention uh, to the fact that this is dealt with in book 23 of Imam Ghazali's Ihya al-Din. Uh, there is another section, uh, book 11 and book 13, which deal with food and also with marriage and marital relations respectively. But uh, the, the topics that we are touching on here are not in those two books, but they're in book 23. So it's called Kasr al-Shahawatain, so breaking the two desires. So if you wanted to refer to further reading, then inshallah, I recommend that you go there, inshallah. Okay, so first of all, we have avoiding the sins of the stomach. And Imam Ghazali's focus in what he is directing and giving us counsel and advice to in this section is on the lawful and the unlawful. And Imam Ujawi, rahimahullah, may Allah increase him and increase our knowledge through him, inshallah, has provided some extra details about that as well, which we will go into. And more than anything, this is what's being looked at here. So it's about what you put into your stomach and how much. So we'll see what Imam Ghazali has to say. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa amal batnu. And as for the stomach, فَحْفَظْهُ مِنْ تَنَابُلِ الْحَرَامِ وَالشُّبْهَةِ وَحْرِسْ عَلَى طَلَبِ الْحَلَالِ فَإِذَا وَجَدْتُهُ فَحْرِسْ عَلَى أَنْ تَقْتَصِرَ مِنْهُ عَلَى مَا دُونَ الشِّبْعَ فَإِنَّ الشِّبْعَ يُقْسِ الْقَلْبَ وَيُفْسِرُ الدِّهْنَ وَيُبْطِلُ الْحِفْظَ وَيُثْقِلُ الْأَعْدَاءَ عَنِ الْإِبَادَةِ وَالْعِلْمِ وَيُقَوِّي الشَّهْوَاتِ وَيَنْصُرُ جُنُودَ الشَّيْطَانِ وَشِبْعُ مِنَ الْحَلَالِ مَبْدَأُ كُلِّ شَرِّ فَكَيْفَ مِنَ الْحَرَامِ Okay, so let's have a look at that first part. So he says, Guard the stomach from taking that which is forbidden by Islamic religious law, so obviously meaning the Sharia, and from that in which there is doubt about its lawfulness. So this is the, the shubha, so something... Something which has got shubha in it is something which has doubt. So you're not sure, okay, is this halal or not? Is there any external indicating reference which would enable me to decide is this halal or not? Or is it something that you can't work out? So these are the things that we are faced with and how we uh, determine that, not just from the legal point of view or the shari point of view, but how we determine our response to consuming the lawful or the unlawful or something which has doubt in it um, is really what the focus is here in this particular chapter. And the the main point with regard to that, as Imam Ujawi tells us, is that if you can't see anything clear and if there 
if it all is just a gray area then what you are really being uh, called to here is to have what's called alawara which is called scrupulousness and that's that's the point so uh, we will get to that inshallah we will also look at some other hadith so before we go into this particular aspect we're going to look at the seven different levels of eating and this is provided in the commentary by Imam Ujawi so there are seven different types or stations or degrees of eating um, and he explains this to us uh, with the following he says the first of all the first of all of them is that every person has to eat in order to live so this is the most essential and basic level of consumption it's in order to preserve one's life and this is actually one of the five objectives of the sharia which is to preserve life and so a person needs to make sure that regardless of whatever their situation is that they are sustaining themselves with the minimum of what is required now there are many interesting issues which branch off from this um, and for example we would know that okay if the most basic and obligatory act for a person to perform in order to preserve their life is to eat well what if they only have around them something which is unlawful or impure in itself for example if there was uh, pork or if there was alcohol or something like that or for example um, even someone's own urine so we know from when there are disasters like earthquakes and things that occasionally a story will come up where somebody managed to keep themselves alive under the rubble until they were found by uh, consuming their urine and that's how they managed to stay alive so in the case where something would ordinarily be completely unlawful to consume um, then if it comes to the preservation of life then that ruling is lifted and it now becomes obligatory to consume that thing which is unlawful because the preservation of your life takes precedence over the unlawfulness of that particular substance or resource uh, so I mean this is a really interesting aspect of the Sharia and where people think that Islam is rigid and it's unchanging and it's uh, old-fashioned and archaic and all the rest of it and, and on the contrary it is extremely flexible given the circumstances and given the objective of what is required to be fulfilled um, one example too is the the international space station where there was a, a local man from here who went there about a year ago and the water that they drink on the international space station is actually recycled urine and so he was asked because he's Muslim are you going to drink that and he said yes because that's what they need to sustain themselves there so there were some other interesting issues that came up about that like how to pray when you're going around the earth like 26 times a day or something like that anyway so just to show that there is a lot of flexibility when it comes to the preservation of life however the point to make too is that if a person was in such a dire circumstance then say for example they fell out of an airplane like Allah, we ask Allah to protect us from all disasters uh, fell out you know got themselves onto an island somewhere uninhabited island and uh, found an old uh, can of alcohol or a bottle of alcohol that had been there for some time many years 
um, and there was no fresh water, then what are they going to do to stay alive then? They would, for example, consume only enough of that substance to keep themselves alive. So it's not a free-for-all where it's like, oh, great, you know, I'm going to drink the whole thing. No, no, you're just enough to keep you going, inshallah. So that's the first uh, level of consumption. The second one is to increase upon that in order to perform the obligatory acts of worship, uh, such as pr- as praying um, and to be able to, to do that in the best way and that these two levels are actually obligatory okay so not only to keep yourself alive but to enable yourself to be sustained where you're able to fulfill your obligatory worship and they include with that as well enough to sustain yourself or keep yourself going so you're able to perform your fard, your obligatory fasting in Ramadan the third level is that you would eat enough Uh, to be able to build upon that and to pray and fast your sunnah or nafal so your voluntary your sunnah and your voluntary and supererogatory prayers and uh, to perform that fasting and so that is uh, recommended as mustahab so it's not wajib on you to do that but if you can then it's uh, highly recommended and then the fourth level is to oh then the fourth level is to sustain yourself so that you are able to uh, earn a living and to seek knowledge and this is what they call the shari uh, uh, satiety so this is like the this the um, satiety that you would get for uh, in terms of the sharia so it's like the the lawful and the ordinary one where not only are you able to perform your obligatory acts of worship, but now you can actually go out and look after yourself and and uh, other people. So you become now a benefit not just to yourself, but to those around you. And so this is really the um, the 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 level that is sought that a person should be aiming at. Okay, because there's no excess in that. And then the fifth level is where you fill your stomach with a third of its capacity and uh, there's a bit of an interesting comment here uh, where Imam Ujawi uh, says that this is actually the equivalent of six hand spans and he says that the intestines the human intestines are actually 18 hand spans in length and so a third of that would be six so if you can fill your stomach with a third of that then that now is above and beyond what you require to enable yourself to work, earn a living and seek knowledge. Um, and that that would be sort of the maximum that the, that the Sharia would recommend. And there's a very well-known hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said that uh, there is no vessel that the, the child of Adam fills which is more disliked than the stomach. And where he says that it should be filled a third of food, a third of water and a third of air. Then the sixth level is that you eat more than what is required and that would mean more than a third of the capacity of your intestines and this is makro. So this is something which is disliked um, because a person gets from that nothing except for heaviness in their limbs and sleep. 
and he says here that this category this sixth category is the one in which most people are actually existing in so it's eating too much food that's not required and then the seventh and final category is to eat so much food that it becomes harmful and this is actually unlawful for a person to harm themselves uh, with the excessive consumption of food and uh, there's a story about the, the Prophet وسلم, when he sent a messenger to Mokokis who was the ruler of Egypt at the time of the Coptic uh, Christian society there and he sent a letter inviting him to Islam and Mokokis uh, didn't accept the offer but he did send back some gifts and so he sent a donkey and his personal physician and his slave girl Maria, Maria Al-Qibtiya and so when they arrived in Medina, the Prophet وسلم, he kept the donkey and uh, he kept Maria to be in his company and she accepted Islam and of course she went on to become the mother of his son Ibrahim who passed away in his infancy when he was a bit less than two years old. And he sent the physician back and he said, we don't need a physician here because we are a people that when we eat, we don't eat until we're hungry. And then when we do, we don't eat our fill. So it's through that a very, very strong indication that overeating is harmful and that a person should only eat that which they require. So when we look at these uh, points here on the screen, so the overeating hardens the heart. Uh, this is the first point that's made in that paragraph that we read uh, also in um, in Arabic there so he says here that uh, hardening the heart because it, it makes a person become uh, merciless so it makes a person think only of themselves um, and it, because it comes from greed so you straight away turn into yourself and think only about yourself and that softness and gentleness and and uh, rika and, and compassion towards others can be jeopardized by overeating and it impairs the intellect uh, by making a person foggy in their mind like foggy brained and not able to think straight it weakens the memory um, which also means alertness so a person's alertness is impaired or diminished with too much food in the body that the body has to expend so much energy digesting and as he said before, it makes one's limbs heavy in worship and lethargic when it comes to seeking knowledge. So a person gets lazy, they can't be bothered. Oh, later they'll just lie around and uh, not really do too much. And it strengthens the carnal appetite. So um, this we know because what it does is it increases a person's yearning or inclination uh, for what their nafs, their lower self, wants. So overeating really stimulates that low desires and it assists the soldiers of shaitan so what are the soldiers of shaitan and imam Jawi tells us that there are 10 okay so when you overeat what you're actually doing is strengthening the um, behaviors and aspects of yourself which assist the shaitan to lead you astray so it doesn't mean here other jinn for example or other shayateen who are hanging around but it actually refers to bad character 
which assists the shaitan to work on you and for you to submit and to succumb to waswasa um, that he's putting towards you because your um, manifestation of these bad characteristics is assisted by overeating. So he says that it's a dhulam, so uh, a, a pressure or being oppressive. Khiana, uh, which is uh, treachery or betrayal. Kufr, disbelief. Um, not maintaining the trust that you've been given. Gossiping, hypocrisy. Um, also being, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, treacherous and betrayal and tricking people. Um, and having doubt in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so having doubt in, in uh, it says so having doubt in Allah doubtful belief um, and also it uh, encourages you to do the opposite of what you've been ordered to do and what you've been obligated to do in Islam and it also makes you heedless and negligent about following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so that's the type of thing that shaitan will work with and he gets assisted by that by overeating overindulging and by being um, negligent of the quantities that you are putting inside your body so imam ghazali goes on and he says so if satiety from the lawful is the source of every vice such as as these which have just been mentioned so what is there to say about satiety from the unlawful so now we're going into the things like the the things which are clearly haram and unlawful for a Muslim to consume and those things and those uh, resources or sources of sustenance which have some doubt in them. There's a comment here that Imam Ujawi makes from a Sha'arani who was a, a, a great uh, saint and, and Gnostic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he says for eating haram or a shubha, so something which is doubtful, um, causes a darkness to envelop the heart and to uh, create a veil between the person and prevent them from entering into the hadra, into the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it wears out a person's clothes. So when I read that, it was yukhlik a thiyab. So it literally means like to make clothes shabby and to make you wear out your clothes. So I wasn't exactly sure what angle that comes from. Then after reading a bit, then uh, it was explained that it makes you poor. Okay, so if you're going to eat unlawful things and consume the unlawful, it will make you poor because eating haram actually brings on poverty and a decline in rizq. And it also means that your du'a for rizq is not answered. And our uh, proof or our text for that is in uh, the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, hadith number 10, uh, where he uh, mentions this hadith from Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, and he says that the Prophet, والسلام, said, Inna So indeed Allah is pure and doesn't accept uh, that which is not pure. And then what I wanted to mention here is a later part of the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, so Abu Huraira said, Thumma dhakara rajul. So then he mentioned a man. Yutilu safra ash'atha agbara yamuddu yadayhi ila sama. So he mentioned a man who had been on a long journey or traveling for a long time covered in dust 
who raised his hands to the sky saying, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabb. You know, asking Allah, so imploring, beseeching Allah to uh, bless him and to give him rizq. haram, And his food is haram. وَمَشْرَبُهُ haram, And his drink is haram. وَمَلْبَسُهُ haram, And his clothing is haram. وَغُذِيَ بِالْحَرَامِ And so he is sustained by haram. فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ So how could he be answered when that is his state? So even though there are things about him which would show that his dua is answered because he's been traveling and he's been suffering and he's covered in dust, then how does he expect to be answered when he's full of impure substances? So the consumption of things that are haram actually obstruct and hinder the acceptance of supplication because they block the path for that with sin and haram and with uh, filth which is dumped on you. So. The thing is that a person can say, oh, you know, it's okay, I'm doing my best and Allah knows what's in my heart. But also at the same time, a person needs to develop in themselves a strong concept of water, of scrupulousness and of guarding themselves with caution and with a cautious type of diligence. So just going on now, I'll just go through this briefly. Uh, because in the commentary there's a bit of sort of it's not really detailed but it goes into some thick issues which we aren't really dealing with here at the moment so I don't want to spend too much time focusing on that so this is the the rest of that Arabic paragraph that we saw here and so we'll just read it in English so Imam Ghazali says that to seek the lawful is the duty of every Muslim okay and as we said this is a focus of the the chapter on the transgressions of the stomach so uh, so performance of devotional acts and acquisition of knowledge while eating that which is unlawful is like building on dung so some of these descriptions are quite vivid if you are content with a coarse shirt throughout the year and with two loaves of black bread in 24 hours and give up the enjoyment of the best type of condiments then you will never lack a sufficient quantity of that which is made lawful in Islam since what is lawful in Islam is of many kinds. Okay, so we have to remember that Imam Ghazali is primarily addressing students of knowledge here. And I think it's really important that whenever we sit down and we make that intention of Imam Haddad at the beginning and we come to a class in order to seek knowledge, that we actually are students of knowledge ourselves. So this is really, really pertinent to us and to think like, okay, so where am I? with relation to this if I'm a seeker of knowledge and being a student of knowledge is one of the greatest occupations and we ask Allah to make us students of knowledge until the very end inshallah because it's so noble and um, the, re- the reward of it in the dunya and akhirah is so great because it's only through knowledge that we can rectify ourselves and have a chance of trying to rectify those around us and inshallah prepare ourselves for our ultimate meeting so it's important that we see ourselves in that position, inshallah. Yeah, he says here that just because you are content with a little bit, it doesn't mean that the halal has been restricted. And so he points out here the words of those who are ignorant, who say that, okay, so you're only going to eat a little bit of this and a little bit of that, so therefore everything now becomes haram for you. So this is a trap that someone could fall into thinking that if I really am happy with just 
eating the minimum and enough to sustain me according to those seven levels that we just mentioned previously, then somehow everything else around me becomes forbidden. Now, this is not right, okay? This is not true. You can be content with a little, but when other things come to you, then of course you can partake in those. And of course you should, because if they're gifts or if someone's inviting you to eat with them or something like that, then you do that out of goodwill and of making other people happy that you're eating their food. But you also have going on with inside yourself um, the ability to be content with very little and to not go seeking any, an excess or an excessive consumption of anything. So he points out here that it's really important that you understand that things are not cut off from you just because you are content with enough to sustain you. Then he says, you are not required to be certain about the unknown inner nature of things. Rather, you are required to guard from that which you know to be made forbidden in Islam or that which you assume to be so on the basis of indications actually present and which by analogy imply unlawfulness. So if you have any doubt about something, then you should always check, okay? And even if you see something and you're sure that it's good and it's halal and it's pure and you shouldn't go into things too much, Okay, because that will now lead to waswasa and that will lead to you having all sorts of um, obsessive thoughts or, or like OCD kind of obsessive compulsive about what's halal and what's not. If it looks to you like it's halal, if it perhaps has a halal stamp on it from a good uh, organization or authority, um, and if it certainly looks okay, then uh, go ahead. You're not required to go into every single tiny detail about what's this and what's that and how did they grow this product and what did they do with that ingredient and all the rest of it. That's too much. So if you know from the outside that it meets the requirements and the conditions of the Sharia for something to be halal, it's halal meat that's been slaughtered properly, um, there are not, uh, or if it's a gelatine product that is clearly not pork or something like that, for example, then inshallah it's halal. Um, and he says that as for the things which are known to be forbidden, they are obvious. Then he goes into different types of money here. And so the first part clearly is about food. And then the rest of it is about money. Because these are the two areas in which things that are lawful and unlawful create the most problems for people. And particularly these days because the economic system the global economic system that we are so caught up in has so many issues and has become extremely complex. Uh, so it, it's important that you have a good and basic understanding of what is halal and what is not in terms of income and that you should go to people who are experts in uh, finance law who are able to give you further advice when it comes to taking loans, uh, when it comes to things like uh, shares and funds and, and all these types of things. So because they're complex, you need expert advice. And if you have any doubts, then you should most definitely go to those who are able to help you. So he says, the things which are assumed to be so, so assumed to be unlawful, include the property of the oppressive ruler and his deputies, the property of those who only earn from mourning for the dead. So he's pointing out here that there can be 
with powerful people for example they might have dubious dealings and if you take money from them then he's saying that it's likely that you are or you can assume that you're dealing with money which is haram um, and also the property of those who earn from mourning so people who are paid to go and cry at funerals this is you know, not permitted uh, the selling of wine um, and of course other intoxicating substances uh, usurious income so uh, interest money or the playing of flutes by which they mean uh, entertainment so people whose sole income is in low forms of entertainment then this would fall in this category of unlawfulness although you'll find there are differences of opinion but this is Imam Ghazali's opinion and he says such that you know with certainty that most of their wealth is unlawful and even if you know that some of that wealth is possibly lawful it's still unlawful due to the greater possibility that it is unlawful okay so again that opens up a whole range of scholarly opinion and discussion uh, which is outside of our intention here of what we want to cover but just to know that these are the types of things that you should be aware of then he says among the completely unlawful sources of income is that taken from religious endowments so therefore anything which a person not engaged in religious studies receives from the trust funds of the religious schools is forbidden so if you are not studying in a school which is funded uh, by the treasury or which is or by the society or even from um, a charitable source so if you're not a student there then you have no right to take money from those places and then he says that if a person has committed a sin in validating his giving witness so if a person um, is known to have uh, for example been involved in um, false witnessing or has somehow discredited themselves according to the sharia where they would no longer be termed someone of a credible and trustworthy nature then he says receiving wealth from a Sufi trust fund or other source of charity established for Sufis is forbidden for him. So you can't sort of go wandering around the place taking money and and, and uh, going here and going there. So talking about the society in that day as well where you had um, Sufi like a teke or a khana they were called where people would go and sit with a sheikh and go and live a very frugal type of life. Um, if it is that you are a person who is uh, not of a satisfactory status in the Sharia then you can't go around and live with those people either so what you need to do is go and work and if it means chopping wood or gathering wood or selling grain or anything like that then you need to try and support yourself so Imam Ghazali says we've discussed the basis of the doubtful things the lawful things and the forbidden in a single book and those three Imam Jawi tells us always go together so the lawful the unlawful and the doubtful there's like a kind of inextricable link between these things all the time and so Imam Ghazali has mentioned that in a single book in the Ihya and he says you must seek to study this for knowing that which is lawful and seeking it is a duty upon every Muslim just like the five ritual prayers okay so we'll go on now to really the main uh, spiritual point which is indicated to 
um, in this section. So it's called Alwara, which we mentioned, and which is often and usually translated as scrupulousness. But because there's not a word which is often used by people, um, then we call it maybe to describe it like a cautious type of diligence or um, erring on the side of caution. So it's where you will look at a situation and decide, no, I'm not going to go into that until I know for sure what the reality of this matter is. So we have this particular hadith, which is also very well known, and it's also in Imam Nawawi's 40 hadith. And this is the wara that um, in the writings of the, the Mutasawifin, so the, the great sheikhs and imams of Tasawuf, this is what they call the wara of the common people. Um, and so we have here this very famous hadith, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Anni Nu'man ibn Bashir, radiallahu anhuma qal, Sameetu Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ayakul. So, um, Nu'man bin Bashir, may Allah be pleased with them. So that means being pleased with An-Nu'man and his father Bashir. He says, Inna al-halal bayinu wal-harama bayin, wa bayinuhuma mushtabihatun la ya'lamuhunna kathirun min al-nas. So what is lawful is clear, bayin, it's clear. And the haram is bayin, it's also clear. And between them are doubtful things which many people do not know. And he says, So whoever guards against these doubtful matters um, keeps his religion and honor blameless. So he protects himself. So we've got deen there, which is his religion, and ird, which is his personal honor and dignity. And whoever falls into doubtful things, uh, actually falls into the haram. So he says, just like a shepherd who grazes his sheep in the vicinity of a protected pasture. So if a shepherd grazes his sheep, for example, close to private property, then it's very likely that one of his animals is going to stray into it. So he says that, uh, And indeed for every king, or every king has a protected pasture. Uh, and indeed Allah's protected area is that which he has declared unlawful so if you fall into doubtful matters then you're going very very close to what is haram and unlawful and you are very very likely to fall into that because you are kind of pushing the barrier and then and this is a really important part of the hadith um, he says so indeed, in the body there is a piece of flesh. So if it is healthy, the whole body is healthy. And if it is corrupt, the whole body is corrupt. Verily, it is the heart. And there has been enormous amounts written on that last part of the hadith as well. So it's a hugely important hadith with many, many angles. But the point is that a person's heart is the place in which that judgment about to consume from the lawful or not is actually made. So the mind can look at the external, but then it's actually the heart itself which will then guide and determine what action is taken. Now the thing is that 
it's very easy for a person to look at something and say, well, I don't know. Okay, so this meat in front of me looks like chicken, but it could be pork. I mean, who knows? So I don't know. So I'm going to eat it anyway. And I can't be blamed for eating something that I don't know if it's halal or not. And if I find out later that I'm wrong and it was haram, then I can't be blamed because I didn't know. And a lot of people do that. Okay, and the reason why is because their heart is not full with this concept, with this state of alwara, of scrupulousness. They've allowed their heart to be overcome by something which takes them away from that uh, cautious diligence, away from that erring on the side of caution because you don't know. And if you think like, say someone you love, like your husband or your parents, imagine if you're sitting with an issue and you're really 50-50, like should I do this or shouldn't I do this? And your love for that person would probably make you think, hang on, what if I go ahead and do this and it upsets them? And you're 50-50 as well because if you go ahead and do it, they could think it's fantastic or they could think it's absolutely terrible and a huge disaster. So you don't want to upset them and you really are taking a risk. Like if you go ahead and do it, will they be happy or not? And so your love for that person and your respect for that person and your honoring that person would and should prevent you from falling into making the decision like, ah, who cares? I'll just go ahead and do it anyway. And if they're upset, then, you know, tough luck and I'll just deal with the consequences afterwards. So a person who really loves another won't do that. You'll be cautious about upsetting them. But what about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Where is the, our love for him? Where is our seeking cautiousness for his sake? And he doesn't need that from us, but we actually need to be protected uh, from that aspect within ourselves for his sake. And so to be sincerely cautious about something is a sign of our love and it's born out of the love and the purity of our hearts. And so this is really what this whole chapter is about. It's about judging your consumption based on the state of your heart. Then the, the water of the elect, of those who would be higher up than the common people, is to leave the types of things that darken the heart and make it anxious. And that means waswasa and thoughts. So a pure heart alerts you like a warning bell. And there's another hadith where the Prophet said, very very basic leave that which you about which you have doubt for that which you don't have doubt and Sufiana Thauri who was one of the great uh, Arifin and Tabi'in he said I didn't see anything easier than water than having this scrupulousness why because if you have doubt leave it okay and wait and then there's another hadith where Albir, uh, which is like piety, is something from Husnul Khuluk. Okay, so this comes from the uh, soundness and the perfection and virtue of one's character. And al itham or sin, ma is what's described in this hadith, mahakafi nafsik. So it's what agitates your heart and what agitates you inside. Um, so it could be that outwardly something doesn't look sinful but inside you're uncomfortable with it and so then to leave something is better and then the hadith goes on 
uh, So something that makes you anxious and uneasy and that you wouldn't like for other people to see. So that's the type of thought and the type of inner state that you should leave if you're on a higher rank of water. And uh, just to finish this section, then we'll finish with a story about a man, young man who was very hungry and walking along and he found an apple on the ground that had fallen off a tree. And so due to his hunger, he picked it up and he ate it, thinking that, of course, um, that's fine for him. It's not attached to a tree. It's on the ground. Uh, no problem. So he ate this apple and then after he'd eaten it, felt this terrible feeling overcome him that he'd done something wrong and eaten something haram. And so he went and asked and found out who does this tree belong to. And so he discovered the owner and went to him and said, um, I need to tell you that I was walking along and due to my hunger, I ate an apple that had fallen off your tree. Uh, so um, what should I do to compensate for that? Because this comes from water. This comes from a pure heart. And thinking and knowing that there was something doubtful in, in what he did and doubtful in the the status of the apple was it really halal for him or not and so the man said okay in order to make up for that you need to work for me for a year and this young man agreed because his heart told him to agree and he needed to do some sort of uh, repentance for for what he'd done so he worked for him for a year and at the conclusion of that he asked okay I've worked for you now um, is there anything else he said yes um, I would like you to marry my daughter and now the young man is uh, quite shocked and he hadn't been expecting something like that and he he said um, I, I don't know and he said it's okay uh, she's she's blind and uh, she's deaf and she doesn't speak either by the way and she doesn't walk terribly well so now the young man is feeling extremely anxious about the whole deal because he's like you know what am I getting into and but he agrees why because his heart is pure and because he fears Allah and that he knows that if he doesn't make up for his fault now in the dunya then he will most certainly have to make up for it in the akhir so he agrees and then of course he marries her and finds her to be an extremely beautiful young woman with perfect eyesight and perfect hearing and eloquent speech and full movement and he's confused now and so he asks the father why did you tell me that and he said because her eyes don't see haram she's blind from seeing haram and she's deaf to hearing haram and she doesn't speak any haram and she doesn't move or take herself to any haram and so that's why I described her as I did and then the best part of this story is that that particular marriage uh, brought about a child who became Imam Malik. So that was his parents who got married from the wara of the heart that his father had had and for him seeking to rectify himself and purify himself. So inshallah that's a beautiful story that we can all learn from inshallah. Okay, uh, let's go on now to the second part of our lesson. Um, if you have any questions of course please write them in the chat and we'll be finishing this in about 10 minutes inshallah and then we can go into the questions 
So this now is about avoiding the sins of the private parts. And as we mentioned at the beginning, it's kasra shahwatain, it's breaking the two desires. So the first desire of the stomach and the second desire of the private parts. So Imam Ghazali says, وَأَمَّا الْفَرْجُ فَحْفَظْهُ عَنْ كُلِّ مَا حَرَّمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَكُنْ كَمَا قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين هم لفروجهم حافظون إلا على أزواجهم أو ما ملكت أيمانهم فإنهم غير ملومين فمن ابتغى وراء ذلك فأولئك هم العادون and he says ولا يصل إلى حفظ الفرج إلا بحفظ العين عن النظر وحفظ القلب عن الفكر وحفظ البطن عن الشبهة وعن الشبع فإن هذه محركات شهوة ومغارسها So he says guide the private sorry guard the private parts from everything which Allah most high has forbidden and be like those concerning whom Allah has said and those who guide their private parts except from their spouses and those whom their right hands possess for in that case they are not blameworthy you will not be successful in guarding your private part except by guarding the eye from looking, your mind from contemplating, your stomach from being filled, and from food of doubtful sources. For these things stir one's desires and are the breeding ground in which these appetites are cultivated. Okay, so let's see what Imam Ujawi tells us about that now. And again, this is book 23 in the Ihya if you want to read more. Uh, this book has been translated, I think, by Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad, um, Tim Winter. So it is available, um, inshallah. So he says that, guard the private parts from everything which Allah Most High has forbidden. Now we need to look at this in the context again of the objectives of the Sharia. So Maqasid as Sharia. So what is it that the sacred law, when it gives us permissibility for certain things and makes certain other things impermissible or unlawful or forbidden or haram we need to look at the context in which these rulings have been given by the lawgiver so by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and as we said before that eating preserves the nafs the self which is one of the five and one of the other ones is the preservation of nasal and nasal is the um, is a procreation is reproduction is the uh, the production of progeny and offspring and future generations so this is uh, one of the core and fundamental objectives of our sacred law which is to preserve that so the uh, the unlawful nature of any sexual practices which would um, impede or inhibit or prevent that uh, from happening um, so that's why they're unlawful because they would prevent the production of the next generation and uh, Imam Mujawi tells us that for example zina which is outside of the only lawful union which is between a man and a woman in a marriage so even though of course the possibility for uh, reproduction exists in that obviously um, it's still unlawful because it's an action performed outside of that lawful union between man and wife 
and then homosexuality between men obviously because there's no reproduction possible from that and also lesbianism amongst women for the same reason and also for excessive touching and feeling between men and also um, masturbation or some sort of um, self-satisfaction and likewise the other prohibited acts are any type of marital relations during uh, the menstrual period or before the woman has once she's become clean of that before she has taken her purificatory bath her fard rousseau and also any other type of sexual act uh, which would include with uh, animals or um, any type of activity there which falls outside of the regular types of practices which would occur between a married husband and wife and so the ayah here that says and those who guide their private parts the guarding there actually means those who don't follow their desires and passions which would lead them outside of that uh, legal and permissible union okay so that's what's intended there and then the last part is that you will not be successful in guarding your private parts um, except from protecting your eye so it's clear that um, looking at things and contemplating and thinking about things and filling yourself uh, too much with food as we went through at the beginning and also consuming food and uh, drink and other things of doubtful sources they stir one's desires and are clearly the breeding ground in which these appetites these lowly appetites perversions desires and the rest of it uh, would be cultivated so inshallah that's what we have here in our presentation of what imam ujawi says and from other sources we will finish now and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us people of wara inshallah people of scrupulousness and people of understanding and people of the middle way and people who are generous with others always and understanding of our own natures and the state of our hearts and how we can uh, and give us the knowledge inshallah to rectify ourselves first and foremost inshallah and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept uh, the intentions that we came to this class with and to fulfill those for us and for everybody else um, and to enable us to tread this path with the most sincerity, the most siddiq and in the way that best conforms and emulates the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So inshallah we ask for kabul, for acceptance and for forgiveness for ourselves and our families our children our parents our husbands and for all muslims inshallah and to enable us to gain proximity and closeness to him subhanahu wa ta'ala on the basis of love of ishq of love and mahabba and uh, emulation inshallah wa sallallahu ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam ila hadratin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-fatiha Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'in Ihdina Surata Mustaqim Surata Nathina Namta Alayhim Rainin Maghdubi Alayhim Waladdanin 
Amin. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Thank you so much. Alhamdulillah, forgive me for my shortcomings and please feel free to contact us anytime at Miss Women and also our Telegram group. Okay, thank you so much. Please keep us in your du'as. Look forward to joining you next time, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.